Hey guys, just a quick note before we begin that the show may contain spoilers and adult language, but that's just because we know how to have a good time. Stick around, you'll be glad you did. You are here for me to enlighten you. You ever act like this again, you're barred for life. It's just violent base. It's kind of embarrassing. If you know you're lying, then you can forget them. Oh, I get it. It's very clever. <laughs> Hello, peoples, and welcome to Esoterica Cinema, the program where we take films from the cinematic multiverse and discuss the hell out of them. My name is Jason Peters, and with me, as always, is the man who has a lucrative side hustle scraping roadkill off of Florida highways. That's right, the one, <laughs> the only, Mr. Ryan Siebold. What's up, Jason? How's it going, buddy? I'm pretty good, man. And I got to admit, man, money is tight. So uh, I'm thinking about starting my own business where uh, kind of inspired by you. I scraped dead insects off the windshields of actively moving vehicles. I think it's a great actively moving. Plan. Yes. Risky. Risky. In the meantime. Business. Correct. In the meantime, <laughs> until that takes off, I will be here with you, sir, reviewing films like today's Ghost Dog, The Way of the Samurai. Do you have a description for us, sir? I do. Looking for some ghost dog, baby, this <laughs> evening. Uh, this is from your self-proclaimed best year in cinema, 1999. This is Jim Jarmusch's <laughs> hey. Ghost Dog. Uh, yes, this is directed by the best hair in the business, Jim Jarmusch. <laughs> Google has this described as Ghost Dog, played by Forrest Whitaker, is a contract killer, a master of his trade who can whirl a gun at warp speed and moves through the world like a phantom, stealthy and evanescent. In the spirit of the samurai, he has pledged his loyalty to a small-time mobster named Louis, who has saved his life many years before. Um, this was made on a budget of $2 million and brought in a box office of 9.3. So Jim nice. Jarmusch gets to live to fight another day, as it were. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this was uh, indie as fuck. Um, it felt like a few years, uh, maybe too late for a movie like this, but I did really enjoy it for what it was. Um, it just, uh, uh was laced with pregnant pauses and all kinds of things that we're going to get into. Um, it was also, uh, you know, a culture gumbo salad. It was crazy. All the things that were, uh, combined to make this movie work and somehow Absolutely. it did work. Um, and <laughs> again, we're going to talk about all this and more very soon, but Jason, I got to ask you as, as always, buddy, what did you think about this movie? Ryan, I'm going to be happy to tell you, but first, do want to ask our audience, go ahead, like this video, subscribe to our channel, really helps us out. As well, if you agree or disagree with any part of this review as we go through it, do be sure to drop that in the comments below. We would love to hear what you think about what we have to say or about Ghost Dog itself. Now, Ryan, I really loved this movie, man. And I can't say that I've seen a Jim Jarmusch film before, Apparently, as I talked to some people, this is sort of a different film for him. It exists outside of most of the most of his other body of work, essentially. But mm -hmm. I really enjoyed it to the point that it really makes me want to check out a lot more of his films. And yeah, I, you kind of mentioned it like part of just what draws me to this film is it's such a singular piece. It's got so many disparate elements that like no one would really ever put together because they wouldn't work and they shouldn't work. And yet somehow they do here, you know, and we're going to go into why that is, I think, but you know, from the acting to the score, to the characters, 
certain thematic elements of the visual language that he uses. There's sure. like some subtle tricks going on here and some actually like really interesting reasoning once you get in behind why some of these decisions were made. And I'm looking forward to bringing about that. So, you know, uh, how about you? What did you think of the overall film? Yeah, I really liked it. It did feel like it belongs in a time and place. This is uh very nineties cinema. Um, yeah, I, I feel like definitely. specifically, you know, it almost kind of had a Vincent Gallo vibe to it. Like Vincent sure, Gallo yeah. meets Tarantino. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, just I in, in the sense of like, it very was very reminiscent to me of watching Buffalo 66 when we did that on the show uh, a couple of years ago. Where Totally, it's very similar, yeah. Yes, correct. That's what I mean. As far as, again, watching people just go about their day and doing things versus cutting right to the chase like you would see in today's cinema. Um, and... Again, like I said, uh, at the top of the show, like very pregnant pauses um, between yeah. the dialogue. You'd you'd see someone say something and then there'd be a beat and then someone would react to it and then there'd be another beat. So, um, you know, it was a bit of an adjustment um, to kind of shift into that kind of a world. Um, but once you did adjust, Forrest Whitaker crushed it. I think that, um, you know, it was a very fun movie. The soundtrack and score we're going to talk about by Rizzo was fantastic as well. Um, and really felt like it was interwoven into the threads of the the screenplay. Um, and it didn't, because a, a, a soundtrack by RZA can really stand out. You know what I mean? When you're, but, but Absolutely, especially when yeah. you're doing like a, you know, a, you have Italian mobsters and, and then, you know, samurai stuff, but then it's also Forrest Whitaker. Uh, and then you got some hood stuff. There are a lot of things going on in this film, but um, yeah, the, the RZA soundtrack was kind of the glue that held this whole thing together. Um, sure. It was a lot of fun. I, I enjoyed it. Is this the best movie ever? No. Did I enjoy it? Yes. Um, previously, I think I had seen uh, Dead Man and Coffee and Cigarettes are my two experiences with uh, Jarmish. Okay. Um, and you know, I have Dead seen Man, Coffee and Cigarettes. I forgot about that one. Didn't really yeah, love that one. I didn't really love that one. It wasn't terrible. Um, I thought it was very conversational and, and interesting. Um, but it didn't stand out. I didn't leave that being like, wow, that was amazing. It was just like, yeah, you know, that was a good movie. Um, sure. I thought it was, you know, well performed and, you know, well written and so forth, uh, based on a series of shorts that he did, uh, you know, earlier in his career in the very early nineties. Um, this was also, uh, you know, some pretty decent cinematography for what he was given to work with, uh, by Rob Muller, who shot, uh, to live and die in LA, um, by Billy Friedkin. And he also shot Paris, Texas uh, by Vim Vendors. So, yeah, um, yeah uh, I thought that this was a, a very capable film. It was also a hard to get film for a long uh, for a long time. Uh, it's only sure. recently been re-released. Um, this is in our archives behind the scenes is a film that we chose very early on that got picked and it was not available <laughs> to watch anywhere. <laughs> it was like a hundred dollars for a, an old school DVD on eBay or something. So we're like, okay, yeah, pick another movie. So it yeah. was really a lot of fun that I was able to, cause this was my first watch. I'd never seen ghost dog before uh, this episode. So it was good that I got to go back and uh, experience this. Yeah. So I will say that for me, this is a film that's pretty much equal to the sum of its parts. You know, I think that, each of the parts is really strong. If you look at acting and characters, super strong. Photography, super strong. Score, great. Uh, what the kids call vibes, but film critics call mise-en-scene. Excellent, right? So <laughs> everything kind of amounts to where it's like each of those pieces of that pie chart that we constantly talk about are really solidly done. 
And you can't sure. really pick any one of those things and say that they didn't do a good job with it, the editing, everything. So it's a simple story that's told simply, you know, and nobody's a villain, even the villains in the movie. And that's kind of one of the things that I really loved about this film, you know, is because generally speaking, like we've seen gangsters where they're not like super evil dudes and you kind of like them, but they're also still kind of bad. And this is most of the Marty Scorsese gangster movies, right? Goodfellas Casino, etc. Of course, sure. you're going to like Joe Pesci. Of course, you're going to like Robert De Niro, right? So they cast these people. You can't help but like them, but they're not necessarily charming the way that the gangsters are in this film. And I really, I thought there was a certain like lightheartedness and a certain tenderness almost to the gangsters, the way they interacted with each other. So it was almost like everything, they would always go out of their way to be like overly friendly and businesslike with each other, right? And even when sure. someone was like, you know, oh yeah, someone got whacked. Ah, yeah, that's too bad. Ah, what you gonna do? Oh, I'm sorry, Tony. Yeah, you yeah, know, it's okay, Jimmy. Nah, but it's really not okay. You know what I mean? Like, hey, you know, come here. It's like, and there's a camaraderie there where it's like, even though they're these like mafia dudes that are walking around with double-barreled shotguns and stuff, they're also just like presented as these very blue-collar guys that have a certain affection for each other. And sure. it was just, it was portrayed in a, in a unique light. Yeah. yeah. But not like, you know, uh, yeah, we're family. But like, you literally felt like these guys were like, hey, we're in this and it kind of sucks. But hey, it's just the two of us. Let's make it work. So, uh, so I really enjoyed that part of it. On that note, I will add that something that really interested me uh, or, or that I thought was very interesting was that, you know, this movie takes place, you know, you, you quoted um, Scorsese, for example, and Scorsese, mm -hmm always goes and harkens back to the heyday of gangster and mafia times, right? Yeah. Casino, uh -huh. Goodfellas. This is a time when mafia had Blitz a lot of glamour, power. Vegas, were very yeah. influential. But this film, Ghost Dog, um, takes place when uh, the mafia is on the down you know, side of things um, sure. in the late 90s. They don't hold the same power. In fact, we have a scene in the middle of this film where um, you know, they're all, you know, full of bravado and, oh, we're going to get this guy and blah, blah, blah. And then they're being shaken down by the landlord, you know, where's yeah. my rent? And they're like, oh, hey, oh, uh. yeah. <laughs> I'll get it to you on Tuesday. What's going on? So, you know, whereas in a Scorsese film, they'd be like, you know, go take care of this. And then he'd be, he'd be taken care of one way or another. Uh, they put the pressure yeah. on him. And, uh, yeah, dude, Joe so, Pesci would totally grab his head and, you know, smash it into a workbench. Yeah. How dare you uh, make me look horrible in front of my people, blah, blah. Blah, blah, yeah. right? This guy yeah, just kind of has his like tail between his legs and he's like, right. yeah, I forgot to pay the rent. Times are tough. Yeah. You know, and everyone's like, just They're like, just getting by. Oh, don't make eye contact. It's okay. <laughs> They're just getting by. Yeah. yeah. So I thought that was an interesting take that they're still sure. up to their old antics and trying to get their work done and be businessmen the way that they always have existed. Um, but with much less, uh, power and pull, um, which makes them a more, you know, tangible adversary for Forrest Whitaker to go after. Whereas if he had taken on the mafia, you know, circa 1983 or something like that, this would be a completely different fucking movie probably. So, um, anyway. <laughs> yeah. Now let's, let's actually discuss the character of ghost dog. Obviously the film sure. is named after him. You know, it kind of lives or dies on what we feel about this character. We spend a lot of time in his shoes, following him around Forrest Whitaker carries bulk of the screen time. So what did you think of the character of ghost dog and how specifically Forrest Whitaker brought him to life? He's playing a very obscure character because we don't know a lot about him. We kind of jump right mm -hmm. in. We are given a couple of very brief flashbacks 
to show his relationship uh, with, I believe his name is Louis, uh, the mobster, mm-hmm. um, and uh, how he got and you know brought into being this um, you know uh, hitman of sorts uh, to pay back a debt or so forth. You know he he said he's a retainer. Um, I don't know what that yeah. really means in the world of the mafia, but um, yeah, or I mean, really in the world of the hire. samurai though. You know because that's oh, that's okay. ghost dog. You know is he's really sure. he's he's living by the code of the samurai. So very good. I think I think in this case the retainer is not not supposed to be exactly his master but i believe in this world it sort of takes place of the master right because yes. there's this idea in in samurai lore that like you know every samurai needs a master and i think that's his closest version ghost dog that is yes there's even text from the way of the samurai book um that you know that where he discusses that you know about the the relationship of the master and so forth uh, yeah. that's that's described so if that's the retainer relationship kind of subbed in by proxy then uh, I'll go down that road but I thought Forrest Whitaker crushed it I thought you know he's always engaging to watch it's rare you necessarily with with the exception of movies like the last king of Scotland and stuff like that it's rare you get to see Forrest Whitaker in a leading role he's always kind of sure, the, yeah uh, an aside or a detective or, you know, an additional part or something like that. It's rare that he carries a film um, so profoundly like this. So I thought it was really unique uh, to see him do that. You know, you see him in Rogue One and, you know, all these different, um, uh, you know, roles where he's an ancillary character that comes in, gives this amazing performance for 10, 15 minutes and he's out. But, yeah. um, you know, I thought he did a great job. Especially since he wasn't even given any dialogue uh, aside from narration um, until like a half an hour into the film. He didn't speak. So, um, you know, he's he's a very quiet, solemn samurai. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a really interesting character, the way that he's drawn. He does have that sort of, you know, sullenness or the the quietude that a samurai often has, the sort of lone wanderer who doesn't keep any fl- any friends and makes yeah. friends with nature and animals and exists among them, etc. But also, you know, just the casting of Whitaker, right? So the first thing that th- there's a couple things that are unique. First and foremost, let's just, you know, obviously is the physicality, right? Like Forrest Whitaker's not a dude in, in great shape, you know, and so it just seeing like a sort of like a chubby dude play a samurai there's just like your brain's like oh, okay this is a little bit different right and even when he's practicing like you can tell that i think they intentionally like didn't have him practice martial arts and stuff because you can kind of tell it's a little rough and it's not polished and so i think all of that lends to him being like a real person right like yeah it's not like oh here's this mythical guy who's a superhero or, you know, has yeah, like, like borderline supernatural powers. Lee. It's like, right. well, dude, he's a fucking dude who lives on top of a skyscraper among pigeons. <laughs> and what do you think <laughs> right. he's going to look like, homie? Like, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so that, you know, that first of all, just again, you know, them going out of their way to be like, oh, you're going to play a samurai, but you don't have to be in shape whatsoever. Don't worry about it. Like interesting decision. Right. Um, and then he also doesn't erupt with the same sort of violence. Like most samurais, it's like slow boil, simmer, 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 then attacked by enemies, which allows the inner fury and anger to come out in the name of justice. Right. right? We see that in samurai films. It's also mirrored in Western films, which are famously patterned after samurai films. So that makes sense. We saw it in Lone Wolf and Cub. Lone Wolf and Cub uh, sort of vengeance was very much like that. And he was kind of a... 
you know, um, heavier set dude, you know, he was, uh, yeah, totally. kind of dude. And, uh, he didn't have a six pack or, you know, wasn't all jacked or anything. He was just a guy that, yeah, was it kind of makes him more of an everyman, you know, yeah. I think it makes it a little bit more relatable instead of sure. elevating him to some mythic again, you know, superhero with chiseled abs and, you know, like the way we, again, we look at the dudes from RRR or something where it's like, Oh, of mm-hmm. course they're superheroes. Look at their muscles. Right. So I thought of lone wolf and cub a lot during this film because same, yeah. same type deal where, you know, lone wolf and cub, he was a, you know, train killer with a heart of gold because he was looking after this boy that, you know, and pushing him around in the cart and the whole thing in a very similar way. We see Forrest Whitaker's character, ghost dog, um, you know, be very soft to, uh, the little girl and, uh, to the man selling ice cream and stuff like that. Like you could tell, like he was, he was a softy, like he had yeah, a big exactly. heart and He's a big he was only bear. doing this out of an extension of his code, um, that, sure. you know, to the samurai, this was his way. And, um, you know, in a lot of ways, I talked about this in our Lone Wolf and Cub episode, everybody go back and watch. Uh, but, you know, that was also kind of copied and pasted onto a modern uh, setting with the Mandalorian. Very much a similar deal with the Baby Yoda character, mm-hmm. Grogu and all of that. Um, you know, we get that here uh, with with Forrest Whitaker's Ghost Dog, you know, again, being a trained assassin uh, with a heart of gold. And in defense of the film... Um, he does use guns as his swords. So it's not like he's out there, you know, with a big katana, you know, doing all these, you know, karate kicks and stuff. Um, You know, he is a hired assassin. You know, he's a, you know, he hides in bushes and snipes people and, you know, goes in the front door and and cleans up with white gloves. But, uh, you know, so it it does play a little more real that way. I was going to say you would be forgiven for, mistaking his gun for a sword because I love the way that they incorporate the sound effects. And every time he puts away his silencer, he never just puts it in. He always whips it around like a, like a yep. Bushido blade and it goes whoosh, 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 and then like puts it in his holster. <laughs> right. <laughs> and again, like it's just such a silly thing to do. And like, that's, there's so many little silly moments where they're like, a lot hey, of silly you moments. know, we're dealing with assassins and, you know, these gangsters are going on rooftops and shooting people at random and killing right. birds in cold blood. But also, like, here's a rapping aging gangster. And, you know, like, here's just uh, a really silly dynamic. Like, I thought it was really funny the dynamic between him and his best friend, the French dude, and how they would constantly be saying things in the other language. Hilarious. That was so clever. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. And they just reinforced that, you know, and he's like, oh, it's getting late. Must be, you know, must have something to do. And he's like, well, it's getting late. I got something to go do. You know, (laughs) (laughs) they can't understand each other. So the ice cream guy is speaking French, uh, or some uh, dialect of Patois or something like that. And, um, yeah, Ghost Dog can't speak that. He speaks English, and neither one of them can understand each other for the viewers that have not seen the film. And so, um, yeah, they're they're constantly saying the same thing and not knowing that they're saying the same thing. We see it as the viewer through subtitles. But, uh, yeah, it's that was a very, very... And just their whole relationship throughout. Uh, the fact yeah. that without being able to speak the same language was very charming, yes. Yeah, and I love the theme of that. You know, there's all these little sort of thematic moments in there. I think that's what's interesting about this film. You know, a lot of films, the way that they're constructed will sort of take one to one or two overarching themes and then are constantly building in characters and plot lines that sort of support and reinforce this theme. Whereas with this film, 
you know, I think if there's a general theme, it's just the overall theme of like, you know, humans treating other humans with compassion, especially in their close knit groups, like, right? Like we see the best friend played by Isaac de Bencole. I'm sure I butchered that. My apologies, Isaac, fantastic actor. But, you know, it's this idea that friendship sort of transcends a specific shared language, right? It's almost like the bond that a person might have with their animal or something, you know, where, you know, you know that the cat doesn't understand you, but you're going to still talk to it and, you know, show it love, <laughs> you know, and even if it doesn't understand that you're saying I love you, you've got to think that it can pick up on the frequencies or the emotions and like understand that sure. you're being kind to it. Right. You know, it's the right. same thing if you meet someone who doesn't speak your same language and, you know, they're asking for directions and you're trying to help them out and, you know, you're gesturing to one another, you're you're trying to communicate. It's not just like, oh, well, we don't speak the same language. Sucks to be you, bro. Peace out. Right. Uh, no, uh -huh. you still just you try to make it work. And, you and you know, so there's this that almost, uh, you know, inner sense of humanity and the goodness of humanity, transcending language and communication and all of that. And it's not really examined anywhere else, arguably between Ghost Dog and Louie, if you really wanted to break it down. Uh, but, we you know, we don't really see that too many other places where it's like, OK, I'm just going to reinforce this and like jam you over the head with this. Right. So I think the, the film does a really good job of introducing these sort of little themes. Uh, another theme that uh, I actually didn't pick up on, but it was one of the uh, comments on the commentary that I was listening to. It points out that there's this whole notion of the cartoon clips, right? Like there's this uh, there's this sort of, again, uh, notion introduced where like the bad guys and the gangsters are always watching cartoons. And at first I thought maybe it was sort of supposed to be a commentary of like, you know, they're they're all kids at heart or something. Then that wasn't really reinforced elsewhere. And I thought maybe it was just like a random thing that he threw in there. Jarmusch, that is right. Just to be like, oh, wouldn't it be funny? You know, whatever reason, you know, or maybe it's to reinforce the violence of these people. Right. Mm -hmm. Which doesn't really need to be explored through this. Anyways. No, turns out all of that is wrong and where Jarmusch was coming from with that. And then we see this very idea sort of creep into a number of the different elements of this film, which is once he introduced the idea of RZA doing the soundtrack, right? RZA being from the Wu-Tang Clan, you know, introducing this element of hip hop into the sort of DNA of this film, right? He sort of looked at hip hop and he said, well, one of the interesting things about hip hop is that it takes elements of itself from the past, from the creations, uh, from hip hop creations and reuses those elements and recycles them in wow. new ways. Right. OK. Specifically through sampling. Right. So mm -hmm. any number of songs you can think of, right? All the Diddy tracks, whatever, they take old songs. Uh, you know, Dre was famous for doing this. You take out the beat, you make it a new song. And so he wanted to basically take that concept and just just put little elements of that throughout the film to sort of reinforce that assemblage sampling aspect of hip hop. And so one of the ways that he did that was by taking these cartoon clips and, and putting them throughout and then having, you know, justifying that in story terms by having the characters be into watching this. And then that's also why we see the books with that uh, young Perlene ends up introducing. They're all famous books that have been, produced into movies, the two biggest of which were Rashomon, of course, mm -hmm. as well as Frankenstein. And those are the two 
main books that sort of get brought up that they discuss in addition to, you know, his uh, book that has all the little sayings that he references throughout. The way but of the yeah, samurai. And that's, yeah. Correct, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and that's exactly why he he had those elements in there because Jarmus specifically said that generally speaking, he's one of those filmmakers that's like loathe to reference other films and other filmmakers. And especially mm-hmm. in the nineties, that was actually very common. So it may have been a specific response to not doing what everyone else was doing at that time. But he did you notice. Don't say. Dino. <laughs> yeah but yeah but after working with rizza and just getting into hip-hop and understanding and he he just wanted to have this this dna of sampling also throughout the film in addition to just i love that and i thought that was really interesting because he's not only showing you the cartoons there's literally they would show you the cartoon scene and then they would reenact it like the the next (laughs) scene the killings or whatever was about to happen it would always tee up a pretty heavy scene of action and so um, you know, for example, um, he's uh, one of the mobsters is watching where a cartoon, uh, shoves a gun in a pipe and then the bullets go up the pipe through the drain and shoot the person mm-hmm. in the bathroom. Uh, and then literally in the next scene, uh, ghost dog was able to shove his gun into a pipe and then shoot the person through the sink while he's, you know, over the sink. So, um, yeah. you know, there's a woodpecker scene that comes, you know, that plays out Woody Woodpecker. And then there's an actual woodpecker that ghost dog sees. So there's a lot of. Uh, repetition that goes back and forth uh, throughout that. So I I love the sampling aspect. I think that's a really interesting way uh, to to present that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And some of the other supporting performances are really strong as well. I, I liked John Tormey as Louie. Thought he played like the really good sort of seemingly do-gooder schlubby guy, right? Sure. Uh, I think uh, that we've got Cliff Gorman as Sonny Valerno doing a really good job bringing his A game, not afraid to get silly. He was like the one person who really felt like he was that traditional Scorsese Vegas gangster, but like displaced, right? Like he, that, like, like yes. that's what he was born to be, but he wasn't. He was like born 20 <laughs> years too late on the wrong side of the country to be that guy. Right. Um, just even down to the giant cigar that, you know, he's always got cigar smoke wafting out of his mouth as he speaks. The glasses. Or, yeah, exactly. You know, and, and that specific, so that specific energy that he brings to the role. And then again, you know, just props for him being willing to, you know, get silly and do his, you know, flavor flave rap in front of the sink and stuff like that. Sure. It's, it's a little silly for me, but, you know, got to respect that he's willing to get out there and do that. And then, of course, we have Camille Winbush, who plays young Perlene, and she's something of a scene stealer. And then coming up on the, you know, last remaining sort of piece of the film, it just is that that score, right, from RZA. Now, I believe you're a big Wu-Tang fan, or were. Is that correct, Ryan? I mean, how could you not be? Yeah. <laughs> See, you know, it's funny, because for me, like, it was, like, Wu-Tang was always one of those bands that I really wanted to like. I liked all of the individual rappers, but I also ended up liking all of their individual works a lot better than like the like the second like the first Wu-Tang album is pretty classic but like Wu-Tang Forever to me is just like a huge bloated album Triumph is great but I can't really say that I dug much else and then that's it and then their third album was bought by the the Martin Shkreli pharmaceutical douche bro like (laughs) how how are they it's like the Sex Pistols man like like this you know you may or may not know the Sex Pistols only ever made one album yeah. And yet they have this huge reputation as like just these these people that, you know, revolutionize their specific genre. 
And it's like, but then you did like one or two works. It's like when you find out, or for me, it was like when I found out that James Dean only did three movies and only starred in one of them. And you're like, how the hell are we still saying his name so many years later? <laughs> like, dude barely did anything. Yeah. But here we well, are. Well, I would argue that, you know, t- t- to say you like the Wu-Tang doesn't necessarily mean just like, cause they're all over each other's stuff. Like if you go get a Ghostface album, you're going to get Method Man. You're going to get sure. RZA stuff. You know, they're all kind of stepping on each other's stuff. If you're into Liquid Swords by Jizza, you know, they're yeah. all on there. So, um, I think that that's kind of a, you know, uh, kind of a blurry description to say I only like those two albums, but all their solo stuff is different. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, okay, you know. And yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe that's how I have to look at it. It's like, oh no, like the Wu-Tang is like all of those solo albums. Like, because I do know that the band, the, that was the entire reason the group even got together. It's because they're like, hey, we're all like kind of known. But if we all join together, then like we could all be huge. And that ended up working yeah. out for them very well commercially. So I don't know. Like yeah, I, said, I mean, just, I kind of look realize at it like, it's like a, the Marvel Cinematic Universe of hip hop where it's like, oh, no, right. see, it's not just the Avengers. You got to go back and you got to watch Loki right. and this and that. Right. And it's like uh, for okay, you to say, I, <laughs> I only like, you know, do you like the Avengers movies? It's like, yeah, yeah, I like the Avengers movies. Well, there's only four. It's like, well, <laughs> there's really like 38,000 yeah. of these freaking things floating around. <laughs> So and they're That's all kind of interconnected and they're all showing up in each other's movies and stuff. So, you know, I mean, yeah. yeah, it's a very similar type deal, but for sure. Yeah, I did think it was interesting. So uh, obviously, you know, Rizza makes his little cameo there at the end. We see him walking down the street. He and Ghost Dog exchange little pleasantries or, you know, some sort of wisdom and then move along. But I did think that it was also sort of interesting to note that. You know, for the for the entirety of whatever exists on the score, it was really just almost like that one main theme that was really just reused over and over and over, you know. And Mm -hmm. I don't know if that was also, again, sort of supposed to reference that sort of sampling thing or just a certain nature of repetition, the way that we see the animation clips repeated and a lot of the different elements of the film repeated. But it did seem like they, they really leaned on that main theme quite a lot. And another aspect that's kind of interesting that sort of exists outside of the film is that Jim Jarmusch, basically, because he never really has any sort of budget to work with, the way that he gets people like Neil Young and RZA to do work for him, especially you got to remember, this is when the music industry was was still a thing and actually sold records and people made money off of selling those records. So he would basically let the artists keep the musical rights. So there would never really be like like the studio or Jarmusch could never release the soundtracks to his films because the music would be owned by the person who did the the music for the film. And they got to keep the rights to those uh, songs. So whether it was Neil Young doing the Crazy Horse songs or whether it's RZA doing the Ghost Dog songs, they got to retain those rights. And then RZA apparently just never released the album. He only ever released it in Japan. And so for a long time, it was like a sort of like a, a collector's item that you could only, you know, find, sure. uh, pay hundreds of dollars to get or whatever. Now we have Spotify. I'm sure it's on there and it's worth nothing anymore. But yeah, pretty interesting that he never released the album, but apparently did do like a remix album with some people. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. But like I said, you know, uh, Jarmusch lets the, the artists retain their work and they're free to do or not do what they want with it, which is why uh, we didn't get that for a long time here. Didn't he, the RZA meaning, go on to do 
uh, I might be wrong on this and I'll edit it out, but didn't he go do Kill Bill one and two after this? I forget if it's Rizza or Jizza. It's one of the two of them. Okay. Can't remember. I want to say it's Rizza. Yeah, it's one of the two yeah. of them though. But yeah, I think, okay. I think, I, th- I think only one of them really got into scoring, which it would make yeah. sense if it was Rizza and this was sort of like his start into that. But yeah, yeah. One, of the, one of the two of them did Kill Bill for sure. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it, that would probably be one of his next projects after this. Um, yeah, I would imagine. Think. As yeah, far definitely. as film scoring goes. So going to go ahead and wrap up as we do with our three adjectives feature. And for those who don't know, three adjectives is a little thing where we basically try to pick three words that best describe our response to this film. If we were to summarize it very succinctly, Ryan, what are your three adjectives for ghost dog? Mine are intentionally unpolished um, because (laughs) of everything I said earlier. It's, you know, the pregnant pauses that, Late 90s film aesthetic. Uh, it's very indie cinema-esque uh, to a, you know, 90s auteur-esque. Um, it feels like Clerks, if Clerks was a samurai film that took place in New York, you know? <laughs> My next one, I said right at the top, it's cultural gumbo because you got a lot of things going on here. You got Italian culture, samurai culture, um, you know, New York street culture, rap, hip-hop culture, all coming together to make this film fire on all cylinders. And my last one is Time Capsule, because uh, it does feel like it's from a time and place. Um, uh, you know, it, it was a little jarring to put on, um, but this was, you know, that mid-90s, you know, late-90s vibe where indie cinema, you know, indie directors would, you know, th- there was no smartphones, there was no YouTube, there was no digital uh, cameras to get started on. Uh, you went into a Denny's, you lit up a cigarette, you opened your laptop, and you cranked out a script the old-fashioned way. It felt that way, and it was uh, very warm and comforting to me. Jason, how about you, buddy? Yeah, for my first one, I've got eccentric. It's just, a, like we said, a mishmash of a number of different styles and aspects that really haven't been put together in this way, for better or worse. We have Confident. I think this is a very confident film. It, even if it doesn't know what... I feel like they didn't know what it was going to be, but as they were working on it, they absolutely knew what it was, just sort of intuitively. And they did sure. these things knowing that it would just somehow work, and it did. And then finally, we have character driven. I think that for a film like this, it's entirely all about the characters from Ghost Dog himself to young Perlene to the best friend to Louie to Sonny. All these characters stand out in my mind and they're all very distinct people, you know, that have their own personalities. And I also like all of them in all of in, in, in each of their ways, whether they're a mafia member or just, you know, a precocious young girl. So eccentric, confident, character driven. I'm going to go ahead and give this one four and a half out of five stars. How about you, buddy? I'm giving this one three and a half stars. Um, I'm going to go ahead and throw an asterisk on this and say that (sighs) this is a hard one because I hate saying, you know, this movie is like this movie, but it did feel a lot like uh, a a film that I, I really love by Luc Besson called Leon the Professional. I thought that um, with Jean Renault, Natalie Portman, Gary Oldman doing an absolutely banana pants crazy performance, sniffing the things and doing the crazy stuff. Um, But it, it, you know, kind of copied and pasted a lot of the the same beats in the sense that um, with Leon the Professional, you had Jean Renault with his little plant, you know, as a softer side of a trained killer. 
Um, and, you know, you had Gary Oldman in, you know, kind of the stead of the mafia and all of that kind of coming after him. Um, and then Natalie Portman uh, in exchange for a little girl in this film as well. So, um, you know, it was very, very similar to that film. And I think that film did it better personally for me. I think the action moments are more aggressive, uh, more adrenaline soaked. I think it's uh, more well paced, faster edited. Um, and I think the softer, tender moments between Jean Reno and Natalie Portman are much uh, more well-performed and, and drew me in a lot more. So, and then of course, Gary Oldman's performance, uh, blew me away as well. So, sure. um, because of that, you know, I'm watching this and I'm kind of thinking, well, this is very similar to a film that I actually like a lot more. So, uh, I kind of backed it off probably a half a point to a point because of that. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. I did not make any connections to that. Even as you're saying it, I mean, there's certain story elements that, that, yeah. that, that I think you could say the same, but like, they feel like very different films, you know, like if you want to like personify things, if you've got, you know, the profession, like if you're at a party and you've got the professional standing on one side of a campfire and you've got ghost dog standing on the other side of the campfire, I feel like those two people are very, very different and your interactions with them are very different and the stories they have and the way that they tell them are very different. I think that, well, like, you know, yeah, again, I mean, Luke Basson and, and Jim Jarmusch probably aren't I'm hanging saying. out at that campfire either. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, so Just like, people, like so Luke Basson, Luke was like, Luke Basson can be zany and silly. Like we saw that in the fifth element all the time, but sure, he doesn't right. introduce those elements into the professional, which is very no. serious, you know, no. um, the action scenes in there's really there's just one action scene in in Ghost Dog where he you know, it's 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 the which I also thought was good, too, is interesting because in all of the samurai films, there is the moment where the the warrior actually fights like seven to twelve guys. Right. And it's always sort of sure. like one at a time and it's always just like one slice and they're dead. And then he slices this guy, and he slices that guy. And so in very much that same respect, when Ghost Dog infiltrates Sonny's compound or his house and he's going through, he has sort of those same moments where he's shooting this guy, he shoots this guy and he shoots this guy. But outside of that, there's really no action scenes. Like I think of the professional right. as an action scene with dramatic moments. I think okay. uh, I think of this film as like an indie drama with a couple action moments, you know? So I, I do understand what you're saying from a story perspective, but I feel like their DNA, like these are two dudes who dress completely different, who talk completely different. Maybe they're telling the same story, but the way they're telling it couldn't be further apart. So I didn't, I can't really say I was making that comparison as I was watching it. So, and maybe that would have been my experience. But if it's a drama if with action beats, let's talk about this for a second. If it's a drama okay. with action beats, cause this is interesting. Sure. Um, uh, you know, the, the, the drama of it, it surrounds a character that we know very little about and, and can't really get invested in other than what they're giving us on screen. So, you know, you, you're, you're, you're building up a hitman that doesn't really kill a whole lot. And you want me to feel for a character via drama for a character that I know very little about. And you're not, you're making him vulnerable, you know, vis-a-vis -vis this little girl that comes in that he's able to share these books with. Um, and then his relationship with the ice cream man. But we mm -hmm. never really get to know any backstory about him that gives us pathos for how he ended up here. Um, he's just a dude that's acting upon his code uh, based on his honor and going about his business, which is interesting yeah. for a while. But it doesn't really allow me to, again, um, be emotionally connected to this character, um, though. 
The only exception I would say to that is the fact that Forrest Whitaker is stellar and I just love Forrest Whitaker. So anything that he asked me to like, you know, he asked me to care about this. I'm going to care about this because I want to give you a big hug, dude. Like you're awesome. I love you. So um, Forrest Whitaker crushes it, but, but his character ghost dog, I know very little about. So I'm just kind of going down the road with this. You know, again, very similar uh, motif to Lone Wolf and Cub, though, because same type deal. We don't really know much about his character, only that we see him and his exchanges with the young boy. And then by way of that, we then feel for him because we see his sensitive side. So I'm not saying this movie is a failure. Sure. It's just interesting that they tried to make this, you know, indie drama with very few action beats. I think it would have served better to have a little bit more action personally for my taste. Well, so yeah, so a couple things. First of all, I will say that I, to me, Lone Wolf and Cub is a much more uh, on point comparison because I, I did think of that film many times like this okay. to me shares a lot more DNA with Lone Wolf and Cub because, again, it's yeah. trying to be a samurai film. You know, the professional, mm-hmm. I think, naturally shares certain things because he's a hitman and such. But I think with this film. It's trying to tap into more of that samurai DNA. So first and foremost, and let's also acknowledge, like when I say drama, I do not mean drama in terms of like melodrama or even like a uh, Sam Mendes drama, even like good drama, you know, like sure. it's a drama from the standpoint of it's not a comedy, though it's also kind of a comedy. And I think that it has comedic beats. Yeah, yeah it has comedic beats. So but when you when you look at like the people making this film, I think it's a drama in the same way that, like, Jim Jarmusch is dramatic. Like, from what I've seen of him, he seems like a very cool dude, right? Kind of like one of those, like, laid-back guys who doesn't get worked up, wears leather jackets, smokes cigarettes, has dope hair. Everyone kind of just seems to like has him. Has dope hair. Doesn't, yes. Right? <laughs> um, and I think that this is kind of that film, right? This film is like, like, like Jim Jarmusch doesn't strike me as an emotional dude, so it makes sense that he's not going to make emotional films, Sure. But in terms of classifying them, it still has to be a drama or an action or a comedy or something like that. But yeah, so I don't think it's supposed to be overly dramatic. I think it's really just and I think that part of it is also, too, is, you know, let's not forget that thematically, you know, we're supposed to like Ghost Dog exists in a bubble like he's this sort of ethereal presence, you know? And also that reminds me, I didn't bring this up. One of the interesting, uh, other interesting visual themes that this does is, is the, the way that they're constantly overlaying images or like cutting out certain pieces and then like fading them together so that you're okay. constantly seeing like, like, like it, it almost creates like a double exposure of ghost dog. And so mm-hmm. he constantly has this wispy, ghosty kind of presence right the way that they show him practicing and they sort of you know cut those moments and fade them together so that he kind of looks like a spirit who is practicing those things you know so and again it's like it's not something that they do this like all over the place it's just one of these little things like okay you know we're going to have this visual theme here where we make him seem like a ghost and we'll reinforce that and then we'll have the cartoon clips and that's going to be like the sampling thing and so again i just think that the way that all of this comes together it's a really interesting assemblage, you know, that we haven't yes, seen. Very elsewhere. interesting. So, so. I'll, I'll kind of end it with this, but sure. it's a gamble when you try to add in so many different cultural influences. I can see that. Yeah. 
The gumbo thing was a know, good. It's like yeah, it's not enough of this to be this. It's not enough yeah. of that to be that. I guess that's all I'm trying to say is it's like it's not really dramatic enough that. to be a drama. It's not enough action to be an action film. So yes. you know that kind of leaves me sense. in like genre limbo. But sure. it's yeah. only. But it's also because of those things that that whole deal that makes this film so unique and really yeah. engaged me despite itself. It was like, it was almost like I watched it and I really enjoyed it and I had no idea why. <laughs> <laughs> so I couldn't tell anybody like, go see this movie. It's, it, it's kind of a risky movie to, to recommend to anybody because, you know, you're asking me for three adjectives here. It's like, how do you even describe this? You know, it's a very unique film. And, and because it's so unique, I kind of enjoyed the experience, you know, because I've yeah. never seen anything really like this before. It was a cinematic gamble that I do think paid off. It just didn't like pay off in spades. And that's sure. okay. Yeah, definitely. That's not just, a bad You know, thing. sometimes, sometimes it's just enough that a film like this exists, right? Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. I think it's a good film. I would watch this again. Um, sure. It's a, you know, it's a fun romp. It's just not, you know, one of my favorite movies. You know, it's like, you got to see Ghost Dog, man. That movie <laughs> Absolutely. So to everyone watching, uh, really appreciate you joining us here. Be sure to visit esotericacinema.com for more content and to contact us directly. If you haven't yet, be sure to like this video and subscribe to our channel as well. Go ahead and leave a comment letting us know what you thought about this review. We would love to hear from you. For Esoterica Cinema, I'm Jason Peters. He's Ryan Siebold. Enjoy the movies.